So if you can take out your green sheet, we'll just continue. Um, Miles and Karen, as I've shared before, have, have a ministry in our church of attending to my mental health. And, uh, and to make sure that I'm doing okay, they send me stories from time to time. And a few years ago, they sent me this story that I passed on to you that I, I wanted to share again because, because it's so apropos for, uh, for our series. And it's the story of this young monk. Remember that one? Anybody? Who arrived at the monastery and his first job was he was assigned to copy manuscripts. And, you know, they take canons, old canons and laws of the church and they copy these manuscripts by hand. And he noticed that all the, the monks were copying from copies. They didn't have, they didn't have the, the original manuscripts. So he was concerned about this. So he went up to the head monk and, or the abbot and he says, he, you know, even a small error, and we're going to be in big trouble because then the error is going to be copied and, it, you know, it could be whispered down the valley kind of thing. And, and, and um, it would never be noticed. But the head monk says, well, we are very, very careful. Uh, we've been doing this for centuries. Uh, but you make a good point, my son, he says to him. So the monks decided just to make sure he was going to go down into the dark caves beneath the monastery where the original manuscripts were and, and where the archives were in a locked vault. And they hadn't been opened for hundreds of years. And hours go by and nobody sees the old abbot. They're waiting for him. So the young monk gets a bit worried. He says, I better go find this guy. So he, when he gets there, he finds the abbot banging his head against the wall, wailing, we missed the R. We missed the R. We missed the R. So his forehead is all bloody and bruised. He's crying uncontrollably. So the young monk asks the old abbot, what's wrong, father? And with a choking voice, the old abbot replied, the word was celebrate! <laughs> I mean, that's a very crucial R to miss. Anyway, I always think of that story when it comes to evangelism because the whole heart of God behind evangelism was celebration. And, and I want to say we miss the R, you know? Uh, rather than it being some kind of duty... The whole idea of evangelism in the New Testament is celebration. The greatest chapter in the Gospels about evangelism is Luke 15, and the whole story is about a party. It's, it's about a woman who lost a coin and found it. It's about a, a fellow who lost a sheep and he found it, and, and, and then a, a father who lost a son and found him. And, and each one of these stories ends in a party, and God says, that's, that's evangelism. That's my heart. And yet, how often have we experienced it differently? I remember as a teenager, I was grow, growing up in a, in a Christian home, and I was in rebellion. And I remember being really attracted to Jesus and, and what I saw in my parents and what I saw in the church and the kingdom. But this was one of the biggest fears. Did any of you experience this before you came to Christ, the fear that you would have to, to evangelize, that you would have to tell others about Jesus? Or is that just me? Maybe it was just me. Uh, I, I know for me, it was a big fear that I had about, I knew enough about the gospel that, that if I became a follower of Jesus, that I would have to tell people about him. And I knew well that scripture, remember where Jesus says, if you deny me before people, I'll deny you before the whole universe. That's kind of how I heard it. Ah! I could just 
the father, the angels, everybody I've ever known going, shame, shame, shame. You were ashamed, ashamed of Jesus. You know, that's kind of how I, that, and, and it just freaked me right out. Now, maybe you haven't had that experience, but we've all had this one, and that is where there's bad press that has been a factor for us. How many know there's been a bit of bad press out there about us? Uh, ever heard of a movie called Religulous? Uh, Bill Maynard, by the way, is a funny guy. I, I, I heard a sermon the other day by Bill Maynard that had more gospel and more New, Christ, New Testament in it than most preachers. <laughs> I, did. I think he's got some insights. But Jesus Camp is another one where, where all of these kind of ideas of evangelicals are, are portrayed. And, and let's face it, we come across as weird to a lot of people. Turn to the other person next to you and say, no, no, don't, don't say that. Uh, but but we're, we, we do come, and, and not only that, but there's, there's, we haven't made it easy for ourselves. You know, Christianity uh, has been one of the most violent, bloody religions in history. Let's face it. I'm a Huguenot. My roots are French. Did you know that within one generation of the Protestant Reformation, France was 50% Protestant? And about a, another century later, most of them were wiped out by a bloodbath. Guess what? Guess by who? Other Christians. The Catholics. Not, not moderate Catholics, but, but what would be called ultra-Catholics. They were just very political. And, and then we as Protestants have done the same thing, haven't we? It's just gone back and forth. So we have a lot of bad press to overcome. Uh, and then, of course, in our, our modern day, the first brush that a lot of your peers at work or school or wherever you are will have with Christianity is a televangelist. You know, the big money and the big hair, right? And, and so we've got that to come over. You know, that's why I got my hair cut really short, by the way. And I got big ears, so take your choice, right? So, and, and, and so we have, by the time you come into somebody's life, there's a whole bunch of stuff up here that, that needs to be overcome in their mind about what a Christian is. And I remember that when I moved to Vancouver, uh, all these televangelist scandals that happened, money and sex and power. And I arrived at UBC, and these guys were knowledgeable. All of these profs were knowledgeable. And, and, uh, and I remember five years, there was this thing that happened during those five years. Okay, there's what we heard out there, but here is a real flesh and blood person, Christian. And that you and I are God's greatest advertisement for the kingdom of God. And I know that freaks some of you out. You think, well, I, you don't know me. But you don't know the God that lives within you. And so we have that to overcome. We need to realize that the early church had it, had it hard too. Did you know the early church had bad press to overcome? For example... You know what the rumor was in the Roman Empire that Christians were? They were called atheists. They were godless atheists. And the reason is, is because uh, in Roman culture, they, they were polytheists. They believed in all of these Roman gods. And the Christians said, no, there's only one God. And so the rumor got out that they were godless atheists. The second thing, the rumor was out there that they were cannibals. Because they heard about these... These, these meetings where they got together and they, they, they ate somebody's body and drank his blood, right? So that was a, that was a, a very common misconception in the, in the Roman world. Another accusation, along with cannibalism, is that they were, 
they were into incest because they heard about all these love feasts they had where they got together and, and loved one another as brother and sister. And it just, it just sounded really, really weird and, and really, really strange. So, so they were accused of incest. So you got godless atheists, you have cannibals, you have people accused of incest, and then worse than that, uh, on top of all that, they were here to take over the world. They were here to undermine Caesar and they were declaring another person was Lord. So they want to take over the world and a, and a common reference to the early church was that they were called a plague, a pestilence. That is actually what Roman writers use to describe a plague. Now what's a plague? Well, a plague is something that's not good. A plague is something that's harmful. A plague is something that's dangerous and it spreads like crazy. And they recognize that this Christianity was spreading like crazy through the Roman Empire, and it wasn't good. It wasn't good. So whenever you as a Christian in the early church went to tell somebody that you were a follower of Jesus, you go, I'm a follower of Jesus. Uh, maybe I won't talk about that right now, right? That, that's kind of what you were dealing with in, in the early church. And even young people, those of you that are teenagers here and... and, uh, and, and uh, or, or, or in high school or junior high, there was a young fellow by the name of Alexamenos, and you can find this on, the, uh, on Wikipedia. This is, this is, there's a place in Rome called the Palatine Hill, and there was an archaeological dig done on this hill that discovered a uh, housing for the page boys. Now, page boys for, the, for Imperial Rome were young boys that were trained in preparation to be soldiers and guards for the Caesar and they'd be kind of like, they would do common tasks, and, and, and they'd be like the water boy today for a professional sports team. They were, like, maybe they had the potential to be that, but they were in training. And these page boys were housed in this, uh, in this uh, facility, the archaeological dig, and in their, in, their, uh, in their quarters, there was graffiti. This looks just like Havana restaurant, by the way. If you go down to Havana, you know, it looks just like that. And anyway, or, or you're, you're, you know, you went to summer camp in the summertime. I mean, remember there's, there was Alexamenos loves Susie, right? Well, here there was some graffiti on the wall, and it's kind of hard to read that. And one of the reasons is it's in Greek, so I'll explain in a minute what it, what it means. Uh, and uh, the, the caption on, on it um, is, this is just from... Uh, uh, Wikipedia, this was the Greek title for it. So archaeologists, in order to understand it a little bit, or did a tracing of it, and this is what you have. And my laser here, I'll use, this is, this is the Greek graffiti. Then you have a picture here of someone on a cross. And here you have Ale probably it's Alexamenos. And it's, the interpretation of the Greek is Alexamenos worships his God. What you have there is a picture of someone on a, hang, on a cross with the head of an ass. Now, it was, it was hard enough and bad enough to be crucified on a cross. If you were crucified on a cross, you were an enemy of the empire and a traitor. But in addition to that, they depicted the head of this crucified one as the head of a donkey. And here they have Alexamenos, who was obviously one of the page boys here, and he's worshiping, and they write the caption in the Greek there, he's worshiping his God. Obviously being mocked that his God is this crucified one with the head of a donkey. All right? Now, what's amazing about this 
is that there's another part of the room where there's another piece of graffiti that says, Alexamenos is faithful. So not only was this young boy subjected to ridicule for being a follower of Jesus, but it seems that as time went on, he exhibited a spirit of Christ where they said that in spite of the opposition that he had encountered, he was still faithful, he was still merciful, he was still gracious and forgiving those who had persecuted him. Powerful, powerful thing. And did you know that one of the greatest reasons the church has spread throughout history is, is because of the way they've responded to suffering, the way they've responded to persecution? When you study church history, it's not persecution that causes the gospel to spread. It's how Christians responded. So it's not always a guarantee. Just because we're persecuted doesn't mean that it's going to... But it's how we respond. And the early church responded to opposition and persecution so movingly that the Roman world within four centuries was conquered by Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God. Now, before we go to our text, let's look at a couple of definitions. First of all, let's define evangelism. And you can follow this on your green sheets. Evangelism defined comes from the Greek word yoangelon, which means to announce good news. But it's a particular kind of good news. It's not just any kind of good news. But it's good news that affects everybody. So, for example, if Stephen Harper were to stand up in Parliament and announce, I have good news. I'm going to cut your taxes. Well, how many know that might be good news for you? But not necessarily good news for everybody. Because, you know, how many know if you cut taxes, that means usually somebody else has to pay for that, and usually it's the poor. So, but what if he stood up and said, hey, you know what, the oil sands are doing so good. Well, that, maybe that's not a good example. It's kind of controversial. But let's just say the, you know, the gross national product of Canada is doing so well, the economy is doing so well, we're going to cut your taxes. But in addition, we're going to raise the minimum wage, and we're going to raise disability support, and we're going to raise income support. Is that a good idea? Yeah. yeah. Now, 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 that's what I mean by the, by the good news, the word you wangle on. It's an announcement that's good and for everybody, and it impacts Everybody. And in the, in the Roman Empire, it was often used in, with regards to the Caesar. So, for example, if it was Caesar's birthday, guess what? Good news, it's his birthday. Why? Because everybody gets the day off. We get a holiday. We get to party. Or it might have to do with a, a battle that was won on the Western Front. So we don't need to fear anymore about an enemy marauding uh, our country because the battle has been won. It was news that affected everybody. And the early church saw that word and they said, hey, that's a good word. Let's use that for, for what we're called to do. Yoangalon. We're called to proclaim good news. And the early church picked it as a, as a victory uh, through the life, it was the arrival of the gospel. Um, and next week, we'll take some time to explore. Because I think a lot of times, we struggle with evangelism because we, we've lost that sense of being overwhelmed by the good news. When you, when you, when you really look at it and you really understand it, uh, you really can't help but evangelize. But often, we've lost sight of the good news. Or we get into what happened with the Galatians, and where Paul said, you've, you've gone to a different gospel. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news. You've gone to a bunch of rules and regulations. You've, under, you've, you, you've lost sight. Well, that'll stop you evangelizing. You know, how many know legalism is really fun to talk to other people about and promote? Right? I'm being tongue-in-cheek, folks. Hello? Okay, listen, I'll be done before the Super Bowl, okay? Just relax. Okay, 
So evangel, evangelion, that's where we get the evangel, which is a short form for the message. Evangelism means literally to, to be good newsing, to be a good newsing person. It's where we get the word evangelical. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh. How many know the word on the street isn't always that evangelicals are good news people? How, how many know sometimes good news? I've had some interesting uh, interactions on Facebook with people who are friends of mine, but they're not evangelicals, but they've been hurt by evangelicals. And uh, it, it's interesting the word on the street out there is we're not, we're, we tend to be people who are known more for what we're against than what we're for, right? And we're more known by our political or cultural action than being good news people. So we are in the tradition of evangelical if you understand that we are called to proclaim good news, but often the cultural and political stuff we don't identify with. So let me just say, it's that evangelism is that aspect of the church's mission which seeks to offer every person a chance to encounter the good news of Jesus. Getting, living, and giving the good news. Now I say that aspect of the church's mission because... There is more to our mission than evangelism. We are called to social justice, which in some ways could be a form of evangelism, as long as we don't water it down. You know, St. Francis of Assisi says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Now, that, that's a wonderful statement. I like it, but we can start using that as an excuse not to use words. But evangelism does involve words. It does. To say that you're supposed to not use words is to disobey what Jesus called us to do. But relax. Relax. You're not going to feel guilty. I'm not going to shame you. You're not going to walk out of church like I did a few times when I was a kid. All right? Just hang in there. Something incredible happened to me when I actually met Jesus and the whole idea of evangelism. You couldn't shut me up. But it wasn't because I had to. I wanted to. I was so in love. I was so captivated. And so I want to I talk about that a little bit. But, but it's that aspect of the church's mission which seeks to offer every chance, every person a chance, encounter, uh, a chance to encounter the good news of Jesus. So it's getting the good news. You can't give what you don't got. It's living the good news, you know, without saying, by the way, that you have to be perfect before you get there. Okay. You, you, you may have faults and foibles like we all do, but we're on a journey. We're moving somewhere. There's been movement, right? Secondly, it's the only reason we are still in this age. The Bible talks about this age and the age to come. Well, we've been going through a series on worship talking about our purpose is to worship God. But how many know if our only purpose was to worship God then there's a lot of things in the way of our worship called sin, war, and suffering. How I many know God could easily get rid of all of that and, and get us on to our main purpose, which is to worship? So why are we still here? Why is this age still existing? Well, Peter said that God is not slow. He's not taking his time, but he's patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the only reason we're still here on this earth is evangelism. It's the only reason we still... God could have wrapped it up and just get us back to the scene in heaven where we're all worshiping. And as John Piper says, the only reason that uh, evangelism exists is, or mission exists is because worship doesn't. Because worship doesn't exist, we need mission. But when the mission is completed, there will be worship again. Every nation, tribe, and tongue will be gathered around the throne of God, which, by the way, will be here on earth 
It'll be, heaven and earth will be married and united. And so, uh, bad press notwithstanding, Jesus gave this command. Bad press notwithstanding, he says these words from Matthew chapter 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, and this is, of course, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, and Jesus arranged to meet the disciples in Galilee. So they went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, Bruxy Cavey points out here that there's two kinds of people in the church that he's met, worshippers and doubters. You know, it's those people that are just touchy-feely, and they, you know, just you say something, they believe it, and they go for it. And then there's the, the Thomases. They go, I don't know. All they have is questions. And he says, Jesus' word, whether you're a worshiper or a questioner, is go. He says, the answer is evangelism. For you that are worship and esoteric and just kind of just love Jesus, he's saying, go. For those of you that are doubters, that have questions, he says, as you go, those questions will be answered. I have found in evangelism, and I found that this week, that God spoke to me through people I was talking to, interacting. There's just something about God's wisdom and presence that comes and answers to questions that come. I, some of the, the things I learned most about the Bible was my two JW friends when I was a teenager. We would go till 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, and I learned more about the deity of Christ and who Jesus really is through those conversations. It was amazing. So he says, all authority is given to me. Or sorry, Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Uh, if, if your um, home group leader says that to you, run away. All right? It's like the, guy, the psychiatrist, he, goes, he says to this, his patient, he says, can you start at the beginning of your promise, your problems? And he says... Um, well, in the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. How many know that's the beginning of his problems, right? Uh, so, so if your pastor announces that to you, run away. But Jesus, the, the, Jesus is a unique person. I know Ross and I have talked about this. You know, Jesus said some things that if anybody else said, you'd go, you arrogant blankety blank. You know? He says to the disciples, uh, hi guys, um, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. And he teaches to the Jews and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus wasn't just this prophet teaching us a wise way. Jesus comes along and he's the message. It, 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 as Bruxy Cavey says, he was his favorite subject. You know, <laughs> Nobody else could get away with that. Why could he get away with that? Because it's true. He was God. Right? And yet he was the most humble person that ever lived. He washed feet. He touched the leper. He loved the outcast. He, 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 he championed the underdog. He died naked, bleeding, and broken on a cross alone. And he exercised incredible self-control when we spat on him and mocked him, called him names, like at little Alexaminos, just a follower of the one. He just, he just incredible self-control. If it had been me, I'd have said, I don't need to take this anymore. You don't know who I am. Let me show you a thing or two. Hit me again, make my day. That's kind of where I'm coming from. How many are glad I'm not God? There you go. So, moving right along. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, th this word make disciples is a, is a verb. It's disciplize the nations. That's our mission. That's what we're called to do. That mission involves proclamation of good news. It means introducing people to Jesus Christ. It means that at Chili Wagon, we announce as we pray, if you need prayer, we're here. We're not pushing it. It's not a, a condition for food because we're giving hope. But if you want to receive Christ or you want prayer, we're saying the opportunity is there. It's, say, it's, it's as we love and we serve, we say this is what we are about. This is, this is what's behind this. Right? Discipleize. And so discipleship is a process. And by the way, they say that any person who comes to Christ who is not a Christian, they call it the bump rule. Have you heard of the bump rule? The bump rule is, is that any person who comes to Christ has to have at least 15 encounters with a genuine Christian where they experience the true love of Christ. It may not be anything they even say, but it's just somehow they have a profound encounter. That's what was happening with Aldona back in 1997. She was having a bump with Chili Wagon, right? It was one of the bumps on the way to Jesus. So you may be number, bump number four in the process, right? The pressure's off. Just be good news, right? And trust God. Paul said, I planted, others watered, but God gives the increase. So... Um, there's a process, and, and who are we to judge? And by the way, there is only one tangible proof that Jesus says that someone can say they're a Christian. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is nothing in the Bible about a sinner's prayer. There is nothing in the Bible about raising your hand. There is nothing in the Bible about an altar call. Or signing a membership form for a church. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But the tangible proof that a person has become a disciple of Jesus is water baptism. Now, there's two things about water baptism we need to know. Number one, water baptism is a physical thing. It's something you do with your body. When Jesus said, be baptized uh, and, and baptize, it was, he was saying that it's not just some kind of ethereal spiritual experience, it's a transcendent but with your bodies, you say, I belong to God. Secondly, how many know he doesn't say baptize yourself? Now, baptism is something you could do. I, I don't know how many of you watched the movie The Apostle with Robert De Niro a few years ago, but the dude baptized himself. I think that's where his problem started. <laughs> Anybody watch the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. He baptized himself. Right? But baptism is something where you come to a body and you say, I submit to you. I submit to the body of Christ. So number one, it's physical. It's a physical sign. And number two, it's, um, uh, it's a community thing. Right? All right. And teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Now notice he doesn't say teaching them everything I commanded you. Teaching them to obey. Teaching them to observe. Teaching them to do. We do not need more information, folks. We need wisdom for living. People need to know how to live, how to follow Christ. So this is a relational act of giving wisdom. And um, it was a command uh, to learn how to do. Now, 
here's, here's, the, here's the crux of it. When Jesus commanded this, it's not like, oh no, we got to do this. You got to understand the context. They had been with him for three and a half years where he had told them to shut up. Do you remember that? He healed the sick. Don't tell anybody. Who am I? Remember that little... I was just reading this in my devotions this morning. He says to the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they go, ar, 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 ar. they all jump in. But then he goes, who do you say I am? How many know when it's they, it's kind of safe, but when it's you, then you got you to gotta, you gotta take a stand. And it says, it doesn't say they, it says Peter. The rest of them shut right up. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, shut up. <laughs> Didn't he? Well, he first of all affirmed it. He said, that's good. But then he said, don't tell anybody. So here they are, and they're walking around, and they said, guess what? Guess what? Dead guy raised. They're doing that for three and a half years. And then when he dies on the cross, they go, whew, it's a good thing we didn't say anything. And then he rises from the dead. And they're kind of just, they're just, they, they want to talk. So finally, when he says, go and tell, they go, yes! It's like, and that's exactly what happened to me. That's what happened to me when I became a Christian. Like, like, at first, you know, that whole thing, I got to do it. I'd be sitting in my class in high school, and I'd be just sitting with a guy, and I'd start talking to a guy, and, and I'd, I was just hoping he'd ask me some kind of question that would just give me an excuse, because I, I still was smart enough to, to, be, to be respectful, Right? <laughs> I was on fire, but I knew how to be respectful and to respect my classmates and not to be preaching and pushing the gospel on them. But I, but, it, but I was who I was, and I wasn't ashamed of who I was, and I was on fire, and I wanted to tell people about Jesus. And, and here I am, scared, you know, afraid to come to Christ because I'd have to witness, and at the end of my grade 12 year, preaching to my hometown, a thousand unchurched people, and giving them my testimony, and it was such a pleasure. And there were people that were touched by God, people that are Christians today because of that season, that time. And I, I look back at that, and it was just total reversal. It was like reverse psychology. Uh, I was given the privilege of sharing. So that's, that's the spirit of it. And then he says, um, um, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Evangelism cannot be understood without recognizing that God is the ultimate evangelist. God wants them. God wants them. And as I've been at your parties this week, and as I've been at different events, and you know, you know what a Matthew party is, eh? That's what Jesus loved to go to. A Matthew party was Matthew had just given his life to God, and he, he has all of these unchurched friends that don't know anything about God that are in the same lifestyle he was. He invites them to this party. Then he invites Jesus and all his buddies. Now, how many have ever been to a Matthew party where all of Matthew's buddies are all over here and all of the Christians are over here? And God's going, no, that's not, that's not how it works. Right? Mess it up a bit. Yeah, but they said the F word. Well, F you. I mean, remember the F word is forgive, right? Yeah. Forgive. Forgive them, right? How many think Jesus would have heard the equivalent of the F word back then? 
How many think he would have heard some Jewish swearing? You know, they said those uncircumcised Philistines. I mean, that, that's Jewish swearing back then, right? Yeah. So what I'm saying is, is, is that there's, there's something about God's heart when you, what I want you to do this week, and we're going to give assignments, because if we don't give assignments and we don't tell you to follow through, then we're, we're disobeying what Christ said. He said, teach them to observe what I've commanded you. So we're going to give you assignments. Because if you don't do assignments and follow up on this and don't interact on this and don't show on this, then we become a church full of hypocrites who hear the word but don't do it. And we need to be doers of the word. So I'm going to give you an assignment this week. It's an assignment that I've been doing myself. I'm not going to tell you something I'm not doing myself. But I'm going to ask you to ask the Lord to show you the opportunities in your life where you, where, where, where you see his heart for people, where you see his heart, see his, his, where you feel that heart beating for people, where you, you see their, 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 uh, their, their condition, their situation, where you see people as God sees them. Ask him to give you eyes because Jesus said, I can do nothing but what the Father is doing. And Jesus' way is evangelism is he'd walk around saying, Father, what you doing? Just show me. I'll just, I'll just follow you. You're the evangelist. I got this neat story from Nepal. The vineyard is in Nepal, partly due to Ralph and Donna. They, uh, Ralph Bromley started these orphanages and a guy came to Christ, came to Kelowna, got disciple, went back, started planting churches in Nepal Guess what? A few months ago, they put a moratorium on church planting in Nepal. You know why? Because it was growing so fast, they couldn't manage it. So Todd Rakowski wrote me a, word, uh, a letter just a few weeks ago, and he said, since they put the moratorium on church planting, 14 more churches have been planted. You know why? You know why it happens? Because they go to a town where there's no, where there's no church, and somebody's sick, they get prayed for, they get healed, Somebody says, well, what was that about? Well, let's get somebody, let's find out. And this has happened about 14 times since they put the moratorium. It's like God's just saying, hello, hello, let's go. Right? Why are we here? Why are we here? Well, I'm out of time, so I'm going to skip and just go to my conclusion point. We'll talk about John 17 at, at another time. Evangelism is the natural behavior of someone who's had a supernatural encounter with God. Let me ask you something. And I want you to raise your hand for this if it's true. How many would not even be here in a church today if you had not had some kind of supernatural encounter with God? Raise your hand. Okay, put your hand down. Now, if you are with people and you're just being yourself and being natural in an area of the country that is more hungry, by the way, than any other part of the continent. This, this area of the world, Cascadia, is probably the most hungry area in the Western world for the gospel. A lot of people do not go to church because they have moved so much that they, they lack the energy to reconnect to a church. And so the new radical is friendly. The new radical is welcome. The new radical is how do the tired people find the resources to reconnect when they move into a neighborhood? 
the new radical is being good newsy. So, does anybody know what that is? It's a Celtic a symbol of the Trinity. And uh, we talked about our primary purpose as the church is worship. And as we worship God, as we worship Him as a community, He calls us into mission. Right? So if you look here, as we worship as a community, He then calls us into mission, which calls people into community. And by the way, it can go the other way too. Because as we evangelize, people are called in mission into worship and they become part of a community. What I love about that symbol is there's a seamlessness. And if we keep those things in, in view in our mission, uh, it'll, keep, it'll give us perspective. A uh, couple of quick questions before we go to communion. Anybody have any questions of anything I said? I, I had to go uh, through a lot of stuff really fast, so I may have missed something. Or, I, I, everybody got it? Is it... Is it, is it we okay? The assignment is, um, oh, I'm glad you asked. Um, take some time to reflect on your world, both backwards and forwards. Reflecting upon your past week and looking ahead to the coming week. Where do you see God working and drawing people to himself? Um, I started doing this a few weeks ago on recommendation of my spiritual director. And it's rocking my world. It really is. I'm, I'm just finding that God is just awakening me to the fact that I have so many opportunities every week to be good news to people. And I've been just kind of, you know, whether it's the cashier at the grocery store or it's somebody that I, uh, I met at the swimming pool that I've befriended or, or, you know, one of your parties you invite me to. Uh, there's just so many opportunities. The chili wagon. Like, I was talking to Gordy and Shannon on Thursday night. We had them over. We were talking about chili wagon. It is so ready and so ripe. Like it would just break my heart if we squandered the sowing and mercy that we have shown for years. When I came to the drive in 1991, I would walk around on the drive and there was this spirit of intimidation. I just felt, it was like, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. That's how it felt. And it's a totally different world now. And Chili Wagon is a huge part of that. The loving and the sowing and the mercy. And people are open and ripe for, for prayer. So I want you to just take that assignment. Do it now, but take it with you this week. And ask God to give you eyes to see. Because the first thing is to recognize He is the evangelist. He is the one at work. He's the shepherd looking for the sheep. He is the woman who's lost the coin. He is the father who lost his son. I love what that movie Martin Luther where he says to the little kids as they're gathered, why did the father run to his son when he saw him? Men don't run. Slaves run. Kids run. But dignified men don't run. And then he waits for the pause and then he says, because he was afraid his son would change his mind. I love that. That's our Father. You see, He loves you and He loves me and He loves our children. He loves those babies. He loves our grandkids. But I'll tell you what, every one of those people out there, He loves them just as much. And He wants them in His family.
So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come, Lord? And would you give us eyes to see? Would you open our hearts, Lord? To the joy of heaven, there is more joy. I believe that one of the reasons that church and Christianity can get boring and we can feel like we've plateaued is that is we lose sight, is we, we lose sight of the joy of heaven. Lord, would you renew in us your heart? So just while Peter and Jessica come and prepare for communion, I'd, I'd like you to just reflect on that slide for a minute and just, just, just in silence, just, just wait. And uh, just think about your week that you had. Think about people that you met, or Peter, or Jessica and Sarah, sorry. Uh, just think about uh, your week and who's in your week. Maybe fellow parents at school that your kids go to people that you keep meeting at the park. I remember when I had small children, the opportunities we had just to engage other people was incredible just because of our children and hanging out in similar places. But whatever season in life you're at, God is at work. He's put you there. You are his ambassador. You are a good muser. A good muser. You say, well, I'm... I'm such a loser. I've made, I've made so many mistakes. I've blown it here and blown it there. What do you think Matthew felt like? Traitor, tax collector. What about Zacchaeus? What about the prostitute? These became the greatest evangelists because those that are forgiven much love much. Jesus, you brought Kathleen and me, along with Christian and Danielle, 20 years ago, because you said, I want this city. And I believe it's time. I believe it's time. We're just a little flock. We're just small. But I, I've read enough of your Bible to know you love to do big things through a small group of people. Just so we don't get deluded into thinking that it was something to do with us. <laughs> yeah, right. I love that where God said to Gideon, you got too many, because if you win this battle, you might think you did it. Send them all home. <laughs> 300 left against millions of Midianites. That's God's heart. He, I just hear the joy of Jesus. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, in scriptures, often a cycle was broken and often revival came to God's people when they renewed covenant. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm asking as you take this bread and drink this cup today, that, that you would just, in, in, just in, in a natural way, just say, Lord, I'm not going to be something I'm not. I'm not going to be somebody else. But through the person you've made me to be, Lord, would you renew in me your heart? to be a good news person to, the, to my world. Would you renew that? That's all I'm asking. We're going to take you step by step through this series in a way that I believe will be accessible to equip each one of us to be good evangelists. And uh, it's, it's going to be something that will fit you. You're not going to have to be a David wearing Saul's armor. Uh, it's going to be you through you. Some of you are just good basketball players. You're good in sports. Some of you are good cooks. 
Some of you are just fantastic in, in crafts, and, and God uses the gifts that we have. He works through the personalities that we have. So fear not that way, because it's going to be through who you are and not somebody else. So let's stand together. You have a word? Yeah. Kathleen has a quick well, word. It's not. I, I just, this all overwhelms about uh, when Gordon talked about the Father running. I just, I just feel like as you come for communion, you know, we do come in and we, like, how many of you feel tired? Well, we don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Especially Aldona, who comes with only one hour of sleep, just so she can get Jacob into Sunday school. But I just feel that God wants to release supernatural strength to us. Right? Like, I... There's, you know, you know, you as you get older, you get certain issues that crop up, and basically, just when you come, or even if you're younger, and when you come and you receive the blood and uh, uh, body of Christ, the symbols of Christ, when you come, just Father, I know He wants to release strength. He wants to release the energy so you can leap out of bed and run. I really, I really sense that very, very powerfully. You know, in our church, we have lots of babies being born. And I'm thinking, why are they always girls? I talked to my niece the other day, and, and in Calgary, all her friends are having boys. I think, is something in the water here in Vancouver? Why is it girls, girls, girls? And I just realized today, I'm, well, we have a boy. <laughs> Yay! You had to come all the way in today. But, you know, uh, what God does supernaturally, he often does physically, and he's giving us you know, a lot of young girls, and we're getting this mother heart. We're getting, you know, the, the ability to reproduce. We're getting the ability to be able to have babies. And years ago, we didn't have that. When Gordy and I first came, we had a lot of people dealing with miscarriages and a lot of people struggling with even having babies. Now we're having babies like, oh, another one. And so I believe that what God is doing, he's giving us that jumping up and down that, you know, God wants to bring new birth in the spirit as well. So come and receive the strength of God today. Receive healing, physical healing and emotional and spiritual healing that gives you strength as you come because he wants to give it to us. Amen. So Father, we, we say yes to your word. Uh, I, just, I just feel like as a church, the Lord wants us to say yes to this word. Yes. Just not, not in a pressure way, but... It, you know how you sometimes feel unworthy or inadequate to, to, to lead people to Christ because your life is a mess. You feel kind of like Job, you know, sitting in a pile of ashes, your body covered with boils, and you, people are passing by and you say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's kind of how it feels sometimes. But the Lord is just saying to us that, that he, he is giving us the capacity to bring babies into the kingdom of God. And this is not just a word to us individually. Sometimes we feel a corporate kind of inferiority. Like, you know, we got this old building and, you know, it, it, we never run a service without a glitch. And, you know, you know what? Some people are sick of the gloss. They just need real. They need real. Now, I'm not saying we should be mediocre. I, I believe we need to do our best. But, but I believe God wants to bring a new confidence, corporate confidence to us. That, that we have what it takes to bring babies in this area into the kingdom of God. He's brought in fathers and mothers. He's brought in young adults. He's brought in families. He's bringing, he's bringing in youth. He's bringing in the capacity so that we can have, a ba have babies and have a family. So I just feel like we need to just say yes. Can you say yes? yes. 
to this today. Lord, we say yes, Lord, to your, to what you desire to do, Lord. We recognize that if, 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 if this was done, you would come. If this was over, we'd be with you and, and you'd just get rid of all the sin. But Lord, we're here because you, you're not willing that any should perish. And so we just renew covenant with you today in this area of our discipleship. So the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this is a new covenant in my, my, my blood. In my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So bless, bless us, Lord, as we break bread together, as we pray together. Help us to be a body. Help us to, to love one another. You said, by this will all men know, all people know, that, you are, that we are yours. And that we love one another with all our diversity, social, culturally, ethnic, age, gender, diversity. Lord, you said that they will know we're yours, that with all that diversity, we still love one another. So teach us, Lord, that first stop at apologetics to be your family as we break bread together in Jesus' name. So God bless you as you come. Just come down this aisle here. If you want to receive prayer in the front, there'll be people here to pray for you or just go back and pray with loved ones or friends. Uh, thanks for bearing with me today. God bless you. Happy Super Bowl. <laughs>